0: This week, the comics guys explain the Summers family part two. Yes, thank you, Ben. Uh, this time, we'll be talking about one of the X Factors, the first X Factor, in fact, as we continue talking about uh, the Summers and their uh, very complex history. Uh, we're going to pick up with uh, John Byrne finally getting to uh, right the wrong that he saw the Phoenix Saga to begin. So. Darren, how does Byrne start doing this?
1: So we debut a new series called X Factor, and since Byrne is involved in kind of like the creation of it, it actually crosses over with Fantastic Four when he's writing it at the time. So he actually like takes a you know an issue out of his Fantastic Four series to kind of like help launch the story. But X Factor is going to be written by Bob Layton and Jackson Geese, Um, and so their proposal basically is they want most of the original X Men are now kind of like kicking around free and now Gene's been brought back from the dead. Let's reunite that team with all of the stuff that's happened to them over the last, you know, 15 plus years since they were last part of a team together. Um, and have them, you know, kind of like be operating as a separate second team to the X-Men. And that's their kind of their premise to start out with. And so uh, the X Factor basically begins with the return from the dead with the discovery of Gene Gray's body in a cocoon at the bottom of Jamaica Bay. And, of course, once she's, you know, woken up, she's kind of horrified to discover that she's been down there for years. Um, And, uh, you know, Scott is, of course, you know, like stunned that the woman that he, you know, originally loved is back from the dead. He's very conflicted about his, you know, situation. Um, And at the time, the X-Men are doing what seems from the outside to be some very shady stuff. Right. They've teamed up with Magneto who has kind of reformed, but most of the world doesn't know that. And they're, you know, doing all sorts of, they're hunted by the law, et cetera, et cetera. And so the original members in X-Factor think at this point that the X-Men are kind of like a bad scene uh, and have betrayed Xavier's original dream, and they're going to get together and, you know, do do things differently. Um, and Scott decides to join this team with his you know ex girlfriend who you know herself she doesn't think it's anything ex at all she's delighted to see him and is horrified to discover that he's gotten married in the you know and had a baby in in her downtime right scott and madeline very quickly in that series get into a fight and they separate and madeline takes the baby very early Once again, in the X-Factor stories, um, Apocalypse appears for the first time as a bad guy. And we don't know any kind of like real details about him yet, but he is very clearly, uh, you know, know, an an overarching menace for like a whole bunch of things that are going on. He's kind of like a schemer and that sort of thing. Um, In the pages of X-Men itself, we meet a new bad guy at the same time uh, who is called Mr. Sinister. And Mister Sinister is very mysterious, and we don't know what he's up to. But he's in charge of a group of, uh, you know, mutant villains called the Marauders, and he sends the Marauders to kill. Among the people they send them to kill are Madeline and Baby Nate, and she gets shot in this story, and then, uh, you know, is winds up as a like comatose Jane Doe in the hospital. And what happens to the baby is not clear. But then, uh, sinister uh, then kind of like tries to erase their existence, even leaving behind like a different redheaded corpse, basically that is supposed to be Madeline's body, um, for Scott to you know discover and bury. So Scott is horrified. Uh, you know his baby is missing. His wife is dead. Jean is you know like right over there. He can't really get into a relationship with her. He is just a mess mentally. Xavier's out in space at this point. Magneto's with the main team. And so the X Factor and and X Men are now at odds with each other um, through a whole series of ridiculous misunderstandings. Madeline emerges from her coma in the hospital, uh, gets her memory back and everything, uh, you know, and realizes who she is, and goes to the X Men for protection because she doesn't trust X Factor. She doesn't trust Scott anymore. She thinks they're the ones who have kind of like gone evil or gone rogue or something. Um, And so she becomes kind of like a supporting character in X-Men for about a year, uh, while Scott and Jean are having their own kind of like crisis over this situation and their relationship going on in X-Factor. This kind of this soap opera, you know, kind of like goes on without any real resolution for almost two years. And it's in 1988. The X-Men have a big confrontation, uh, a battle in Dallas that happens on national TV. And during that battle, the X Men are seen to apparently be dying in battle against their horrible enemy. Um, and Scott sees Madeline alive for the first time. He realizes that she is still alive. And uh, the last thing she does before apparently dying um, is to, you know, say into the camera basically that Scott needs to find their child. And then she, you know, passes through into another dimension and apparently to her death. so
0: So i haven't read the story does madeline have the superpowers that she will have later at this point no
1: she has no powers at all she's an ordinary lady an ordinary redhead
0: all right just felt like i should clarify
1: yeah but but weird stuff keeps happening around her right so it's like you know there's all kinds of like hints that there's something weird going on but she never actually does anything herself right? right and it's clear that they haven't figured out what her story is Right, because there's multiple writers going at this now, and those writers are not necessarily all getting along. It's not really until Louise Simonson takes over X Factor that X-Factor and X-Men kind of like remerge into one kind of planned storyline. Um but in this story now Scott and Gene in X Factor now have a, you know, mission, basically, right? It's like Nathan is still missing. We have to go find him. The X-Men may all be dead. They're not, as we are, you know, discovering in their own comic. They're actually, you know, have been uh, you know, dispersed around the world into new bodies, and a bunch of weird stuff is happening to them. But they all believe that the X Men are dead, and so they've been left with this one thing, which is what happened to Nathan. Where did he go? And so uh, Scott and Jean basically consult with Destiny um, from the uh, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, who can read the future, and with her help, they return to the orphanage that Scott and Alex went to as kids and while they are there they discover that the basement of this orphanage is like a secret lab full of full of children who are like in the process of being experimented on um with no you know there's nobody there running it right and in that group of children is baby nathan so they rescue all the children um and rescue nathan and they basically have nathan you know like safe for literally about an issue and then nathan gets snatched again First by Danny, and then by the demons from Inferno. right? So the next you know, several issues, basically, several months, are Scott and Jean chasing the various people who are abducting their baby, you know, three different people with like three different plans for him.
0: Wait, did you say nanny?
1: Nanny. Nanny is an X-Men villain. She is a weird, kind of like egg-shaped robot okay. um who is uh, you know, like is a basically a child snatcher. Okay. Um, it's super complicated to explain her whole story, but uh, you know gotcha, she's gotcha. she's she's a she's a recurring problem around this time in the late '80s. So,
0: gotcha, gotcha. There's not one I'd run into, and before. she's part
1: in she's part of Inferno too. So, okay, so Inferno starts up. It's this whole mutant crossover thing, and it's the first time that uh, you know Claremont, who is writing both X Men and New Mutants and uh, Louis Simonson, who's writing X-Factor, they're all working together again for the first time, right? It's like now these, you know, converging storylines are all kind of like crashing into each other. And Inferno is basically, uh, you know, like we are now, uh, um, you know, battling demons, basically. And in this storyline, uh, Madeline returns now as a supervillainess. She is now the goblin queen, of you know, like a, a hell-like dimension, basically, um, and she has magical powers. She's a horrible, nasty witch, and uh, Alex is now her lover, which, as you might imagine, is kind of startling to Scott. Um, that you know she has uh, not not having not not able to be with Scott. She has decided to uh, instead uh, take on his brother as her lover, and you know now Alec, Alex is apparently evil too. It's all super confusing. Um. And so uh, Madeline tries to sacrifice baby Nate as part of her plan to create a permanent portal between Earth and Limbo. And uh, you know that goes badly. Uh, Iliana you know, gets involved. There's a, there's an uprising in Limbo. All kinds of crazy stuff is going on. Um, and basically, the combined mutant teams in the end wind up teaming up against her, save baby Nathan, unbrainwash Alex. And uh, Madeline apparently kills herself at the end of the story. She apparently kind of like gets wiped out. Obviously, it's a it's a very clearly a supervillain death, right? Like nobody thinks she's really dead. Uh, but, you know, the, the story seems to suggest that she is dead. Yeah. During this, uh, you know, there's a bunch of revelations about her in which uh, Mr. Sinister finally kind of explains Madeline's whole shtick. In which he says, okay, the... Summer's gray bloodline, the children that would be had by these two children, uh, by these two mutants, basically, would become the most super cosmically powerful mutants ever. And controlling that bloodline uh, is, you know, like his, it would would make you the master of the world. And it's basically everything that Mr. Sinister has been working on for some time. And when Gene died, uh, obviously that kind of put a kink. You know, when she became Phoenix and then apparently died, uh, that kind of put a kink in his plans. And he, at the time, had a clone of Jean who had not uh, developed any mutant powers. Her mutant gene hadn't activated. So she is Jean if Jean had not become a mutant, basically. And when the Phoenix Force separated from Jean and, like, you know, committed suicide, basically, um, a sliver of that force... Sought out the clone body as a place to live, right? Like it had been living in Jean Grey's form for so long that when Jean Grey's form, quote unquote, was blown up, uh, it sought out something else that was similar as a place to live. And basically came to live inside the inert, inactive uh, clone of Jean that was Madeline Mm. and made her come to life as a person. And so... Created false memories for her, including that whole plane crash that supposedly happened on the day that Phoenix died. Um, and then went on about, like, having a life and fell in love with Scott and et cetera, et cetera, and all these things. Um, so Scott and Gene discover this. And as when Madeline commits suicide, the portion of the Phoenix Force that had been in Madeline remerges with Gene. And brings with her the memories of everything that Madeline had done. So Jean now has both of those. Jean has all of the memories of herself, but she also has the memories of the time that Madeline was alive inside her. All right. Right, exactly. So you're like, oh, okay, that's weird, but that's, you know, that's a thing. During this time, also, as we're beating up Nanny, we discover that some of the other kids that have been abducted are Jean's niece and nephew, who are also going to be mutants, or who also are mutants, though their powers haven't fully developed. Um and they free those kids. Um and then they those kids don't appear again until later on when the Shiar killed them, you know, 20 years later. So
0: <laughs> Oh man, it sucks to be them. Right? Feels like it that's a dropped uh, story thread. It
1: it totally was, yes, absolutely. Clearly that was supposed to go somewhere, but it doesn't. Yeah. Um so It takes a while for the full story of this to kind of like come out to the the short version and we'll get to kind of like the more expanded version reason. But it turns out that the entire orphanage that Scott and for a little while Alex lived in was all part of a Mr. Sinister project. Right. The Mr. Sinister has been tracking his bloodline for so long that like putting him in this orphanage was part of his plans to control and manipulate Scott's life. Right. And that Scott, uh, in fact, uh, his his friend in the um, in the orphanage, his best friend in the orphanage, was in fact actually Mister Sinister in disguise. Um, it was me and, all along, Scott. Right? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's just it's all super complicated at this point. Um. So yeah, but now we're finally like out to the other side of the story. The uh, you know the the X Men and X Factor are friends again. Inferno is over. Madeline's dead. Scott and Gene, okay, they're not really having a relationship right now, but they're both, you know, there and maybe they could still work on something. And so we think we've got, you know, like a a pause in this. Over the annuals that came out in 1990, all of the X-related annuals of 1990, there is a storyline in which Nathan, baby Nathan, begins to manifest superpowers. Right. Exactly how old this child is, is, of course, like a, you know, weird thing to kind of try to establish, because in some cases it seems that literally only weeks have passed. Right. But on the other hand, like in real time, you know, three, four years have passed. Right. So it's like exactly how old is this kid? We don't know. He's vague toddler age. Right. Um, Scott asks Gene to marry him. Once all this is kind of like over, like a year or two afterwards, during 1990, basically. And she's like, Yeah, no, I don't think so. Not yet. I'm not ready. You know, I've got all the memories of Madeline in my head, and I'm just not ready to be married to you. I, let's just be friends for a while. Um, Scott and Jean then learn Rachel's story. And Rachel's story is then revealed in 1990 that she is, in fact, from a timeline. Like the one that Claremont and Byrne had originally planned, right? In her story, in her backstory, Jean did not die um but was depowered and became a normal person. And then they had baby Rachel as their child. right? So she is clearly not from our timeline. She's the 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 future she came from diverged before days of future past. It diverged back, you know, like well before uh you know uh, uh before the whole you know kind of like phoenix final battle dark phoenix story even happened right um so the fact that she keeps coming back to the, that she's back in this timeline like she's not you know that this timeline is not going to lead to her future right right um so they everybody involved kind of like processes that you know and scott and jean and rachel have kind of come to some kind of like understanding of how they're going to live together Apocalypse then shows up, uh, and the next time Apocalypse appears, he kidnaps Nathan. Uh, you know, this child has now been kidnapped what four times, five times, and he's not even like three years old. You know, he's just super popular with the bad guys, and he infects him with the techno virus, with the you know like the virus that is basically the the um, the, the, the the life form of Warlock. Right, you know, like the 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 virus that kind of like turns uh, organic substance into techno-organic substance. Mm-hmm. The baby is then rescued. A new character appears out of nowhere, um, who calls herself. She's she says that she is traveling from the future. At different times, she says she is either from the 37th or 39th century. They kind of like try to redcon that to make up for the fact that we're pretty sure that those were actually mistakes the first time, <laughs> right? That they couldn't decide what century she was from. Um, but they you know, come back and paper over that later. Uh, but she's either from the 37th or 39th century. Her name is Sister Ascani, and she is part of a cult in the future that is uh, devoted to the battles of the X-Men, to the life of the X-Men, and in the X-Men's name are carrying on the X-Men's eternal battle against Apocalypse in the future from 2,000 years from now. Uh, the apocalypse is still alive, he's ruling the world and the underground is basically a dedicated version of the X-Men 2000 years from now that are, you know, that that are still carrying on the fight against him. And she says that she can save Nathan from the technovirus if she takes him back to the future. But she can't do it here. She has to take him into the future and f- save him there. Right. And Scott and Jean faced with the fact that their kid is dying, uh, and basically have no other way to try to save him, are like, all right, we're going to have to trust you. Weird shit happens in our lives. That's how it works. So we're going to assume that you're actually for real. They give their baby uh, to uh, Sister Ascani, who takes him t- takes the baby into the future and disappears. We learn some of the backstory of this, in which it is discovered that Clan Ascani, this entire group of like underground rebel warriors against uh, Apocalypse in the future, is in fact actually founded by a version of Rachel from a time that she's traveling in time where she got split into two different beings. There's a a divergence, and like there are two Rachels. One Rachel comes back to our time. The other Rachel goes forward to the 37th century and founds the rebellion against Apocalypse, who is controlling the world because she can't time travel anymore, and she's stuck in the future. And so we have now written the baby out of the storyline. that's you know dandy fine. It's this baby was only interfering with things. Anything now Scott and Jean can kind of like go on about their lives.
0: Babies are complicated.
1: <laughs> Babies are complicated, and they're bad for superhero stories, right? It's you you don't want to tie them down. Uh, so 1991 storylines, X Factor goes away, and then kind of like is re- reborn as a new group that is now run by the government. The X-Men, all the people who used to be an X-Factor join the X-Men and the X-Men expand and they have multiple teams. They've got blue and gold and all this other stuff is going on. Scott and Gene are still in their weird relationship. Alex has become the leader of the new X-Factor team. And it's at this point, we have another new disruption that will lead to all kinds of problems, which is a mysterious being from the future, a mutant from the future, arrives and takes over... The former members of the New Mutants into a team called X Force. And this mysterious being from the future is called Cable. And Cable's kind of complicated. (laughs) When Cable first was created, there was no intention of him being tied into the Summers Clan at all. That was nobody's idea. None of the original people involved in this, uh, you know, in the creation of him had that as a plan. I didn't know that. He's so uh <laughs> he's so tied in eventually but when he first came in he was basically bob harris said we need we want to have a new leader for this x-force team and we want him to be as different from xavier as possible so since xavier is this kind of like passive guy who like rides around in his wheelchair and gives people orders and is super intellectual and whatever we're going to make this guy the opposite he's going to be a military guy from the future and he's going to be man of action and he's going to just go out and do stuff and and whatever and you guys make this happen, right? And so it was Louise Simonson and Rob Liefeld create, as she's the writer and he's the artist of New Mutants at the time that it is turning into X-Force, create this character. Um, and Liefeld creates the most Liefeld character, basically, he has ever created, right? With scars and a glowing eye and guns and a ponytail and just all, you know, pockets everywhere. Just the super 90s You know, character. And uh, Simonson's plan is that he is just going to be a mutant from the future, right? And that he has come back in time to stop his horrible future from taking place exactly the same way has happened, you know, multiple times at this point over uh, Days of Future Past. He's going to have like a similarity to uh, Rachel's story that she's come back to stop a terrible future from happening. But other than that, there was no plan to make him. Uh, you know, to, to, to have him connected this way. And um, uh, Liefeld creates him, basically designs him and gives him the name Cable, which is unconnected to anything. He just thought that was a cool name. Right. It's only like a few months later that um, Lee and Wills Pertasio decide to, you know, like, as as the new writers of X-Men who have, like, come in, or one of the X-Men titles have come in, basically, they decide to make him Nathan, right? That he is Nathan grown up in the future and returned back here. They talk Simonson and Harris into this, because they think they've got a really cool plan about how they're going to do this, and it's going to tell all kinds of stories about this guy in the future and how he came back, and we can kind of, you know, connect him into the summer's mythos, et cetera, et cetera. And Simonson and Harris go along with it. Liefeld never does. Right. Liefeld hates this story. He hates this origin. To this day, he complains about it. Right. Mm-hmm. That, like the, this character was never meant to be this, you know, like tied into this or anything. Um, Liefeld in X-Force had already created Strife as a character. Right. Strife has been revealed. We you know, he's a mysterious bad guy who's up to you know, no good. And he's leading an army of evil mutants, et cetera, et cetera. And when he takes off his mask, he has Cable's face. Right, and he Liefeld had a whole plot about how these two guys were from the future, and there was going to be a whole thing over like which of them was a clone, et cetera, et cetera. And none of this was supposed to have a Summers anywhere near it. And they basically took over his story, and you know uh, booted Liefeld out of it, and uh, you know took over his characters. And he's still to this day mad about it. But Executioner's Song, the big 1993 crossover, basically tells a lot of this story. It reveals that Cable is in fact actually Nathan. Um this mysterious uh, strife who looks just like Cable uh basically pretends to be Cable tries to assassinate Xavier and then captures Scott and Jean to torture them basically for being shitty parents right like for giving up their baby and sending it off into the future right like that he's he's mad at them somehow and so he spends some time basically convincing them that he's the real Nathan and that Cable is just a clone of him and this goes back and forth uh, you know, uh, uh, several times as the, you know, writers refuse to kind of like come down on one side or the other and answer whether or not Strife or Cable is in fact the real Nathan, like that matters, apparently. They both apparently die in Executioner's Song, um, but then Cable is revealed to have survived, and then later on, Strife is revealed to have somehow survived inside Bye. Cable, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Sinister helps Strife uh, capture Scott and Gene again and trades them for what Strife tells him is like a, a, a canister carrying important Summer's family genetic material, which is still what Sinister is super obsessed with to like create the perfect mutant army in the future. Um, but Strife has actually fooled Sinister and what's inside the, the canister is not Summer's genetic material, but is in fact the legacy virus. And that will go on to be like a whole super endless plot you know, point for a while. Um, but now we have introduced Cable. Cable is, you know, uh, Scott and Gene have learned that you know, one of the two of them is Nathan. They don't know which of them it was. Cable himself seems not to actually know whether he's the clone or not, et cetera, et cetera. Um, clone goes, uh, uh, Cable goes off to the future in his own series. He separates from uh, X-Force at that point. Scott has a brief fling with Psylocke, um, kind of like his first real relationship without, uh, you know, that that, that doesn't involve either Gene or a clone of Gene. Um, At one point in this storyline, during the Legacy Virus storyline, Sinister boasts, he literally says to somebody that there is, in fact, yet another Summer's Kid that has not been revealed. But he doesn't give any details, and the story continues without actually answering that question either. Cable returns to the present, confronts Sinister, learns once and for all. Basically, you know, after having gone the writers going back and forth over this several times, that he is in fact actually Nathan and Strife was the clone. Um, and uh, Sinister escapes, but Cable now feels better. And Cable goes to tell Scott and Jean that he's actually their son, and kind of you know has the has a uh, 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 you know relationship begins with them where they start kind of like acting a, a bit like his parents. Um, Gene Despite him being like older than them Exactly right (laughs) Gene sees I mean Scott has his kind of meaningless fling with Psylocke and Gene kind of like sees that and realizes she can't stand to see Scott with somebody else that she actually does love him despite all of the terrible things that have happened in their relationship and she proposes to him and they get married Shortly after the wedding is the storyline in which Rachel goes traveling in time, and we get the whole story. She actually like sacrifices herself to save Captain Britain in Excalibur, winds up getting split in the time stream, and we see the version of her that goes on to become sister and then Mother Ascani. Uh, we then get a Cyclops and Phoenix limited series in 1994 that's going to supposedly straighten all of this out. So in that story, we learn about this future of the 37th or 39th century, uh, where in order to cure baby Nathan, the Ascani had to clone him as part of that process. Ugh, just accept it. That's there's, We're not going to explain that any further, but we needed to make a clone in order to cure him. That's the clone true. is then abducted by Apocalypse in the future and goes on to become Strife. Apocalypse actually had planned to put himself in that clone's body, but Scott and Gene in the future uh, stop that from happening. Um, It it gets super complicated. But anyway, the clone is the one who grows up to become Scythe, Strife.
0: And uh, he actually, Apocalypse cured it better, right? Because Strife doesn't have the uh, techno-organic virus. Does not
1: have the virus at all. No, exactly. Whereas Nathan still has all this leftover stuff from it, right, so. Um, Mother of Honey who is you know, like a version of Rachel, basically, does the same trick that she did with Catherine Pride in reverse and summons Scott's and, and Jean's minds um, into the future and puts them into like other bodies, basically. Um, and as those bodies, Scott and Jean spend a decade in the future raising baby Nathan and training him to become a hero and a resistance leader without ever telling him that they are scott and Jean from the past so literally 10 years of their lives go by in other people's bodies right and they are the reason that cable is the super badass soldier and resistance fighter and hero and everything that he is because they trained him and so they are then returned to their own bodies in the present and cable goes back now realizing that the people who raised him were in fact scott and Jean and other bodies Right? And so now they're super close. Now he believes that they actually have a relationship. We also learn that Future Cable had a son named Tyler, Tyler Dayspring. And then Tyler traveled back in time and became the uh, X-Men supervillain, Mr. Tolliver. And so he is yet another member kind of like spinning out of the, the, of the Summer's clan, basically. Um, fortunately, before he had a chance to get any more confusing, Wolverine killed him. <laughs> and he has not shown up again since then. So
0: Thank God for Wolverine.
1: Yeah. If it's, if somebody needs to straighten all this out. So Strife and Nathan are fighting all the time in that future, right? And don't realize that he's a clone of, that Strife is a clone of Nathan, right? So when Nathan travels back in time um, to become Cable, Himself and like lead the X Force for the first time. Strife followed him from that time and kept fighting him. And Strife, uh, basically like founds the MLF, basically the Mutant Liberation Front, um, in order to like harass them. So all of this backstory is finally explained over the course of these four issues of this limited series. It's like okay, we're done, right? Like this now sort of makes sense. We've papered over a whole bunch of stuff. We've explained everything. We're not gonna do this anymore. Let's just leave these characters where they are and stop messing with them. Of course, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. The next character that we meet or the next thing we meet is a completely new character who also somehow seems to have a relationship, a connection to the Summers family. And this guy is called Adam X. And Adam X is a mysterious character that's it was the nineties and mysterious characters were showing up all the time with, you know, like no explanation, but a lot of drama about like, oh, wait until you learn the secret about this guy, blah 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 blah. And so Adam X, when he finally gets explained, um, is revealed to be the son of Catherine Summers when she was raped by Emperor De in Shiar Space before she died. Apparently, he actually had several such children. Were born from her during the brief time that she was in De Ken's harem, basically, while Chris was in the slave pits.
0: And this guy is separate from uh, Vulcan, who comes up later, right? We haven't even
1: yeah, Vulcan hasn't even been revealed yet. That's a that's a whole new thing to come. Right, right. So this guy is basically half brother to Scott and Alex. Um. And he has the most 90s superpower ever, which is that his mutant power is to set other people's blood on fire.
0: <laughs>
1: That's hilarious. It's awful, right? Like It's just the worst, you know, most like unnecessarily gross and violent. Like literally he will just stare at you and then your whole body will catch fire because your blood is like incinerating you from the inside.
0: Can he like throw his own blood too and set yep. that on fire? Yes, like he can. People. Okay, excellent. Yep. Excellent.
1: So this guy, of course, terrible character. But we learn that he came to Earth. He like he escaped the Shi'ar. Basically, um, he's the illegitimate son of the guy who is now no longer the Emperor. So you know, like he's not exactly the popular with the Shi'ar. Uh, comes to Earth and then fights X Force as some sort of like a weird bounty hunter, um, and uh, operates sometimes. Sometimes he's called Adam X, and sometimes he is hilariously called X-Treme, X hyphen capital T R E M E which is the most also the second most 90s thing ever. Um he then does a face turn for a bit and he and Cable work together. Uh, he goes to Alaska and he saves Scott's grandfather's life. He saves Chris's dad's life um in Alaska from like an accident and to kind of decides, "All right, well this is kind of cool me being a hero. Maybe I should be a good guy for a while." Um he crosses over a couple of times. He appears in the Captain Marvel stories that where Genisvell Is the is Captain Marvel? If you want to go back to our you know Captain Marvel stories and 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 note that basically, but he appears in that time. The two of them kind of like briefly become a team. Uh, He almost winds up in char. He almost winds up on the throne of the Shi'ar Empire, uh, but he walks away from it basically rather than accepting it. And uh, he disappears for a while. Then he comes back when the X Men are living in San Francisco, and he kind of joins that team. Oh man! Um,
0: Yeah, I remember. I read that run. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So he's he's like, he's, he's there at, on you know on Haven basically when they're living in San Francisco, right. he shows up on Krakoa in the modern day stories, uh, literally just for like two panels, just to kind of say hey he's here too kind of thing, um, and then there's an X Factor story that came out in 2020, in which we discovered that Adam X is now living in the Mojoverse, and is actually the host of one of the Mojoverse TV shows about the X Men.
0: He's a character and, that I can't believe isn't dead. <laughs> right, <laughs> how did they not just kill this guy off? Off they kill so many characters off in X Men off screen or like with like a minute of uh, you know, uh, notice, or like we see them get depowered uh, in like a single panel or something. Like, he feels like he should be dead.
1: He should have been. It's, it's a th- terrible idea. Uh, anyway that's that's kind of his story he never really like interacts with the rest of the summer's family anymore so i think we can kind of just kind of like note him here and just sort of leave him there um because he's not gonna you know be like a major factor in stuff that's going on but the thing that is coming up next actually that's going to mess with all of this is called the age of apocalypse and i think that's probably where we're going to pick up next story absolutely
0: I'm excited for this episode to be horribly dated in like two months when Adam X is the center of the next uh, big <laughs> If down. so, you
1: heard it here first, guys. <laughs> All right, well, until that happens, uh, I've been Steve Tasker. And I'm Darren Watts. Have nice. More of this later. Uh, thanks for coming.